what Keep Kids Alive is all about. It's all about preserving relationships. She was super, super funny. Her friends always say that she was really funny. Just her beautiful personality, her spiciness. She knew what she wanted to do in this life. Her journey was her life and she lived it her way. And that was something that I really admired about Bethany. First time I spoke at a school, I came out smiling for the first time. And I knew in that moment that was the way I was going to make sure that her death would never be in vain. And I will speak about the dangers of illegal street racing among the youth. Lily saved my life. And I get emotional because I didn't know how I was going to move forward. A piece of me died with Bethany that day. And Lily truly saved my life. She gave me like a purpose and she gave me a, you know, a mission. And she let me fight for Bethany by joining the organization. I want to welcome our listeners to the Keep Kids Alive podcast. The Keep Kids Alive podcast is produced on behalf of Keep Kids Alive Drive 25. We're a nonprofit organization that works on traffic safety education uh, with communities uh, all across the country and sometimes around the world as well. Our mission is simply to help make streets safer for all who walk, cycle, play, drive, and ride. So that's all of us because at some point of our lives, we're doing uh, any one of those activities. And so we're concerned about traffic safety on and along roadways of all kinds. I want to welcome our guests today, uh, Lily Trujillo and Lori Argumento from Southern California. Lily started an organization called Street Racing Kills, and we'll be talking about the work of her nonprofit. Lori also works with the nonprofit as well. And I believe you're both members of the Southern California chapter for Families for Safe Streets as well. And so we can talk a little bit about the work that Families for Safe Streets does in uh, Southern California. But I always like to start by uh, just connecting us. Lily, uh, I believe we were connected because of Jerry Lynch with the Connor Lynch Foundation. Came to know Jerry several years ago, and she's connected me and our organization with so many people along the way. And Lori reminded me, we actually talked a couple years ago in the wake of Lori's niece's death, Beth. And uh, she'll be talking about Beth's story. And uh, that's what I want to invite you into uh, a conversation. Thank you very much for joining us, Lily and Lori. I always like to just start out with having you share about your story. Lily about Valentina and uh, Lori about Bethany. Okay. So in December 7, 2013, my daughter Valentina was going to go spend a night at her best friend's house. And then they were going to go to a little party before I dropped her off. I saw her as beautiful as she could ever be. I had this beautiful, amazing love for her in the moment when I saw her standing with her unicorn backpack. She was 16, knocking on the door. It was a beautiful feeling. I'll never forget it. It was like a, I don't know how to explain it, but I call it now like a premonition because that was the last time I ever, ever saw her alive and I had no idea. I went home. I dropped her off with her best friend and they were knocking on the other best friend. And I woke up at one o'clock in the morning with a phone call telling me, hurry up, hurry up and get here. Valentina was in the crash. Woke up my son. We left looking for her where they told us to go. I could just hear the voice of the teenager male cursing and cursing at the driver and mentioning him on the driver. He wouldn't tell me though what had happened. And I got my son, we got out of the house. We even forgot the keys inside the house, locked ourselves out. We got to the scene where they told me Anaheim and um, in Avalon in Wilmington. Mind you, I left her in Torrance, not in Wilmington. However, I knew that her best friend lived that she was gonna go spend the night with us in Wilmington. When I got there, there was only yellow tape all around the area, no cars, no nothing. And they told me, the police told me, they didn't say anything to me. They just told me, uh, you know what, uh, the kids will take it to different hospitals. So I went to Harvard UCLA, which is in Torrance, walked in the emergency running. I see her best friend with an IV and her mother hugging her. They're crying. My first thought was like Valentina was in another room. I yelled at her and I told her, where's Valentina? I was like, I could go to the other room. Crying hysterically, she tells me, Valentina died. I then collapsed to the floor and my new I didn't faint. The shock was so hard that I was, it was like I had an, 
an epileptic attack. And my son picked me up and told me, it's okay, mom, I got this. The reason why he said that is because years before, my mom, my dad, and my brother had passed away all within three years. Even my father the year before. And I make sure that my kids wouldn't experience. I didn't want them to experience a funeral, a loss like that. I would always come back with something of them. When I came back with uh, Valentina's uncle, my brother's blanket, my brother was like a father to her because I was divorced at the time, or single mom. First thing Valentina told me was like, he died, didn't he? And I said, yes, he didn't make it. And I just didn't want him to suffer that. So my son knew, he was 22 at the time, how much I have done to keep them from going to a funeral or from experiencing anything like that. And he just told me, I got this mom, I got this one. And uh, they told us you have to go home because the police is waiting for you. So we got home. And I saw the pol two police officers, a male and a female. Um, I know now they always give notifications because I've been working with the police for so much, but I had no idea at the time. I sat down and I saw that she had her purse. That's how we opened the door, actually, because we had no keys. They got her key to open the door. We sat down and we, um, they told me that my daughter had died in a crash. I fell off my chair and all I remember is looking at my son, at the cell phone of the police officer, identifying his dead sister. That's the last image that my son took for me and uh, took that, um, he took that for me because I didn't see that picture. And uh, I still breaks my heart to this day that I wish I did it because I wanted to avoid any pitch to my son, any pain. And I wish that he never had to see his sister dead. I don't remember a lot. You know, I was in bed, out of it for a while. Losing a child is like any other pain. Like I said, I had lost my mom, my brother, my dad. <laughs> Nothing like when I lost Val. When I lost Valentina, I lost it. I Every part of my body was throbbing. I could even feel my nails on my skin. I could feel my hair. <laughs> is um, I, I went to work later. When they read the report to me for the first time, all I could hear was blah, blah, blah. I couldn't hear anything. I couldn't taste food, nothing. It was like if I was eating paper. I even told my girlfriend that took me there because she's never had children. And I looked at her and I go, you know what? And I thought it was very insensitive, but I told her, thank God you never have kids. And I said, I'm sorry. And she said, I understand. Because she saw me. I weighed, I went from 115 pounds to 95 pounds within days. I was like super skinny, like a twig. When I went to work, I couldn't take it. So I went, I got out and I went for lunch and I sat down inside my car under a parking lot. I was there, it was like a, in the Beverly Center and a little corner. I just sat there and I cried and I cried and I cried because I couldn't believe such pain so hard. I couldn't believe that she wasn't with me. I couldn't believe that she was next to me anymore. We lived in a two bedroom and she slept next to me. Little bitty girl that grew like a teenager, bigger than me. This little messy teenager, she was messy. You know, she had an organized mess all the time. I couldn't believe it. I was like, she's not gone. And I was crying and I was like, I'm not going to let this happen to anyone. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm not going to let anybody go through the pain of losing a child. I didn't know that. And I read the report. I started reading the report finally. I read the report and this is what happened. So they went to a party, a kickback party where they got invited. Her best friend got invited to it, so that's why they went. And they're from there, they were going to go spend the night. The party were a bunch of kids older than them. There was alcohol. There was everything you can imagine. There's two little, three teenagers going inside this party. Her girlfriend got really sick. She started throwing up because she's diabetic and whatever they gave her made her really sick, whatever alcohol or beverage they gave her. So Valentina and her best friend took care of her. And they said, let's just call it a night that they were tired. So the boy that took them there, which was not Valentina's best friend, it was the friend of the other girl. She had seen him in a couple of parties and things like that, but was not her best friend. 
they all got in the car, Valentina got in the back seat. Her friend that was sick, but they put her in the front, they put her seatbelt on. Her and her husband in the back, they just fell asleep in the car. Her last text to her friend that she was uh, talking to was they used to call each other Mr. Penguin and Mrs. Penguin. They had like a little thing going and they wanted to meet and see. He said, don't worry, Mr. Penguin. I have my beanie on. I'm okay, even if it's cold. Well, she fell asleep. On the way there, he found the next co-worker that was running around. You know, they said hi to each other. They got themselves next to one another and challenged each other to a street race. He pulled the window down and that's when Massey Valentina's best friend woke up and saw the whole challenge going. He said, let's do this, took off. They were going so fast that Massey realized she didn't have her seatbelt on and put it on and tried waking Valentina up so she could put her seatbelt on as well. I told her, hey, put your seatbelt on. But I looked at her like, what are you talking about? By then he crashed against an SUV and then against the fence. When Valentina's best friend woke up, Valentina was hanging from the window. She only saw her behind. She had urinated all over herself when she got out of the car crying and looking at her friend hanging from the window. My daughter died at the scene. I wasn't there for her. The coroner took her body. They said there was a lot of blood from her head, stuck to the roof, had to remove her hair. And I wasn't there. I wasn't there when she took her last breath. I didn't know that when, when you die at the scene, you're no longer a person, you're a body and they just take you. And you're a number. When you think about Valentina and what was the spark that she brought to the world? What was her light that she gave and shared to other people and that you carry with you now too? Just her beautiful personality, her spiciness. She was very hard-headed. She knew what she wanted to do in this life. She was super, super funny. Her friends always say that she was really funny. And that uh, she couldn't really dance, but she danced. And um, she was very cravy, pretty much like me. I'm very cravy. I'm always craving something to eat. And that's the way she was too. She's like, I want this, I want that. I'm a jamba juice in my life. If I said, no, I'm not bringing you that. And she will go, well, give me two tacos from Jack in the Crack. And I'm like, I'm, like, I'm going to give you something healthy. We would argue about that, right? And she so I always wanted to please her, you know, anything that she wanted. She loved her friends. You know, she wanted to be a fashion designer. She had plans to go to New York. Uh, we were having trouble getting the money. So she would go to New York. I asked my brother in Mexico. We had already put some of the money down because this happened in December 7th. So January, she was going to New York with a fashion club from high school. It's pretty popular. And I attract people and play with and, uh, sleepovers. It was funny to see her with her little girlfriends that they were all, you know, she was wearing my clothes. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> and I'm like, why did you make me buy you a dress and you're wearing my dress? You know, well, that's, so, a, that's, that's quite a compliment from a teenage daughter to <laughs> to, to wear your dress. <laughs> I look, and believe me, look much better on her. <laughs> it was adorable. I mean, uh, I'd love to actually send you a picture of that because I thought it was really funny. I was a single mom working mama. She's like, I need these toys for my quinceanera. I'm going to a quinceanera. I could buy it and I come and she's wearing my shoes and my dress. So it was just, I was like, okay. Like I said, she was a little rebel. She was really, really, that's her personality, you know, that just, but you know, I wanted to do something about it. I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't want to let her go. And I haven't let her go till now. And so, so what did you decide to do? I decided that I was going to let no parent to lose a child to something that's 100% preventable, like a street race. But I didn't know how until they started asking me to go to go to schools and talk. Within months, I started talking to schools. First time I spoke at a school after the person that talked about drugs and alcohol, I came out smiling for the first time. And I knew in that moment that was the way I was going to make sure that her death would never be in vain. And I will speak about the dangers of illegal street racing among the youth. What happened at that first time that you spoke? What do you remember about that? Other than you knew that you had found your purpose. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> and I shouldn't say other than because that's a pretty profound thing to find is your purpose. I actually, I had uh, the kids, they were crying. They came and hugged me. They came and told me I will never do that. I will never do that. I'll be careful who I get in the car with. I mean, just the things that they were telling me. I was like, wow. And I actually had therapy because I had to see a therapist, of course. And when I went to a therapist, she's like, what's wrong? She didn't see me sad, you know? And I was telling her, oh my God, I did this and I did that. I, the next assembly, I had pictures of the funeral. The next assembly, I had a logo and I named her organization <laughs> Street Racing Kills. To be honest with you, I think she gave it to me. Well, uh, Lori, I want to invite you into the conversation uh, uh, to share your story and then how you became connected uh, with uh, Street Racing Kills and how you and Lily connected. Well, our angels brought us together. I met Lily a week after my niece was killed by a young man that decided to uh, engage in an illegal street racing contest on a residential street. I am now the outreach and community relations director for Street Racing Kills. And I lost Bethany on May 11th, 2019. It was actually Mother's Day weekend. And they were going to come over on Sunday. They were going to go to her mom's house and celebrate Mother's Day. But Bethany and her little brother decided to surprise her mom and they were going to go the day before. Uh, Bethany has had a six-year-old daughter at the time. So Layla was with her aunt, other aunt and they were on their way to go pick her up. So it was uh, Bethany and Emilio. They were only a few bo blocks away from the home when they were driving down the street and these two young men, uh, these two young men decided to engage in a street racing contest. He was going about uh, an estimated speed of 80 to 100 miles per hour when he hit Bethany's car pretty much crushing every bone in Bethany's body. Uh, Emilio was critically injured at the scene. And so it was really hard for us because that was the night before Mother's Day. Uh, and we didn't know that Bethany and Emilio were going to surprise her mom. Nobody had no idea that they were on their way. So we, we didn't know what happened. In the morning, we were all looking for Bethany and Emilio. We were wondering where they were you know, texting, calling, um, social media, they were her and Amelia were always on social media. So we hadn't seen any posts. So we were wondering like, what's going on here? You know, they're always posting. They, there was nothing on social media. And so Bethany was at my house every weekend. So the, the weekend before, you know, we had talked about a triathlon that I was going to do and I did it on mother's day morning. So I was really excited to tell her about how I did. And, you know, I wanted to let her know. And I called her and she didn't answer the phone. It wasn't until 5 p.m. on Mother's Day when we received that dreadful phone call. I won't, um, I will never forget that phone call because, um, first of all, no mother should ever receive a phone call on Mother's Day that her only daughter has been killed. So Maria, it was just so heartbreaking that she received that phone call on Mother's Day and that her son was in the ICU, you know, basically clinging to life. They asked my husband and I to go to the coroner's office to identify Bethany's body because we were the closest to the coroner's office. And so we did. Uh, there was a part of me when I received that phone call that I just didn't want to believe that it was true. I'm like, why would they be asking me to identify her body if they knew who she was? And I'm like, maybe there's some small chance that maybe somebody stole her car. They got into this crash and it wasn't, it wasn't Bethany. So that was the only way I was able to actually drive to the coroner's office. Uh, I drove with my husband and I kept telling him like, Hey, maybe it's not her. Maybe it's not her. I'm like, you know, I bet you anything. Somebody took her car and that's why they want us to come down. You learn after you go through this that it's just a formality. Uh, when we got there, the uh, corner, uh, the special agent greeted us with, hi, sorry for your loss. And then she proceeded to ask us if we wanted to know everything about what happened or if we just wanted to identify her. So I asked her at that moment to tell us everything I really, I wanted to know. It was still, I still had like this little glimpse of hope that it wasn't her. So she told me that there was, um, you know, there was street racing. And uh, Bethany was driving and they, this young gentleman had around the stop sign and hit Bethany and her little brother. She then proceeded to show me a photo of Bethany's driver's license. And then she told me about some of Bethany's tattoos and asked me to validate that that was Bethany's ID and if that was her, um, what her tattoos were. So 
at that moment, that's when our heart broke, you know, because it was a reality. Uh, it was confirmed and a piece of me died with Bethany that day. We didn't really get to grieve though, because from there we had a rush over to the ICU and uh, the doctors were very honest with us when we got there. Emilio's injuries were severe. Um, his head was, his skull was crushed and they had to remove half of his skull to let his brain swell. His eye socket, his cheekbone uh, his, uh, were shattered. His teeth on his left hand side of his face were knocked out. His arm was broken and his pelvis was broken. So um, they had let us go in and out of the ICU all night to say our goodbyes just in case he didn't make it through the night. I firmly believe that Bethany was with him and she wanted to make sure that her mom didn't bury two of her children. So Emilio was a miracle. They, he made it through the night and uh, he regained his strength and he survived the crash. And Bethany had no chance. Uh, Bethany's neck was broken. All of her ribs were broken. Three of her ribs had punctured her lung. Both of her legs were broken. All of her organs were crushed. Uh, she did wake up briefly. Her and Amelia were knocked unconscious and she did wake up briefly. And, uh, and I heard Lily, you know, talking about how she wasn't there, you know, when she took her last breath. And um, that's one of the things that, that bothers me is because Bethany woke up for a brief second and strangers came to her aid. And I still talked to the woman that was holding Bethany's hand when she passed away. And she knew that she couldn't get her out of the car because there was no way they could get her body out her seat was actually overlapping Emilio's seat. They were hit so hard that the passenger and the driver's seat were on top of each other. And uh, there was no way they can get her body out of the car. So she held on to Bethany's hand. Bethany asked for help and she died immediately after that. And they just stood there with her as she passed. Emilio was holding her hand also. He was underneath her and they knew that he had a chance. So they tried to get him out of the car because there was gas leaking everywhere. And they knew that the car may have uh, caught on fire and they didn't want him to die in the car. So they were able to get him out, but they had to fight with him to let go of Bethany's hand because they really wanted to just give him a chance to survive. And he just kept saying, I'm not letting go of my sister. And um, they had to pry him off of Bethany to get him out of that car. So... I um, didn't think that I was going to be able to move forward from something like this. Knowing all the details, they said this was a hit and run. So I interviewed everybody and talked to a lot of folks to try to figure out what happened that day and just get a better of understanding how she lost her life. I wanted to be mad at somebody. I was so angry that I needed to be mad at somebody. And when I talked to the neighbors, they had complained to the city about a lot of people racing on that street, a lot of people doing donuts and you know, doing just things that they shouldn't be doing on that residential street. And they had asked for speed bumps and they had asked for stop signs because it was a two-way stop, not a four-way. So Bethany was going through her side, no stop sign. And he ran the stop sign. So I firmly believe that there was a stop sign. He would have went right past her. Or if there was a speed bump, there was no way he would be going almost 100 miles per hour when he hit her. And she may have survived. So we went to a town hall meeting. On behalf of Bethany, we spoke and we talked about her death and we asked for the city to make some changes so that nobody else had to go through what we were going through. It's there that I met Lily. This was a week after Bethany's crash and uh, we're speaking and Lily's there with her street racing signs and she's, you know, she speaks and she's just like, this can't happen. You know, nobody needs to go through this. This is 100% preventable. And I turn around and look at her. And I knew that I wanted to do something. I knew that I wanted to make a difference, but I was, uh, I was going through the grieving process and it was really hard for me. So Lily gave me her card and I looked at her and I'm like, I'm going to call you. You know, one of these days I'm going to call you. I don't know when, but I'm going to call you. And Lily tells me, I knew you were going to call me. I just didn't know when. And I was hoping that you would call me. And I feel like our, our angels brought us together to do this because a couple of months after I spoke at the day of remembrance for Lily's uh, daughter's passing. So she passed away on December 7th. And I shared my story for the first time um, with an audience of folks. I, I cried the whole time, but I shared my story for the first time. And it was the first time that I really um, felt some sense of peace, you know, because I know when we buried Bethany, I promised her that I was going to keep her memory alive. And I promised her that her death was not going to be in vain. And so when Lily gave me the opportunity, I knew that I could make a difference. Well, I wanted to ask you, what was special about your relationship with Bethany? Uh, I asked Lily about Valentina's spark, and I'm confident 
that Bethany had a spark as well and that that spark had something to do with your relationship. Oh man. Oh gosh. So Bethany, when she walked into a room, she would just bring a smile to your face. We wouldn't even talk. We, as soon as she walked into the room, we both started laughing because we already knew that it was going to be a good time. I had the best of Bethany. I was the cool aunt. I got to hang out with her and it was always a good time. She was so unique too. She used to dye her hair multiple colors. She always had a different hair color when she came over. We gave her the nickname Unicorn because she always had a different hair color. <laughs> and her makeup was like a work of art. You know, her and I used to share makeup tutorials. So we'd watch YouTube videos and she's like, oh, you have to watch this girl. She has this new, really cool makeup routine. And so we would always call each other. Or we'd find a new like lipstick or eyeshadow we liked and we would oh, you need to try this eyeshadow or you need to try this. And so we did a lot of, we were very similar. And then she was just very adventurous. Uh, I was, you know, I think a lot of people would be jealous of uh, Bethany's personality because Bethany lived her life the way she wanted to. She was not afraid to do whatever she wanted to do. And she never cared what anybody thought. Her journey was her life and she lived it her way. And that was something that I really admired about Bethany. I think one of the things that I think was really special about Bethany, um, she was a mother, you know, she had a six year old at the time when she passed and her and Layla were best friends. They were so cute. I mean, all the pictures they have together, they're always like twinsies, you know, and, and Beth, Bethany's mini me, Layla looks exactly like her mother. And so, um, you know, I, I look through sometimes through Bethany's Facebook page and her social media and, you know, it's my way to connect with her still. And, you know, I see all the pictures she posted Layla and she's like my baby, you know, my heart, like my, all I need is you in my life. I'll always be here to protect you. And, you know, I know that she's still there protecting her baby. Um, but you know, Layla just doesn't understand yet, like why her mommy's never coming home. So you know, I really, really believe in what Lily and I do. And I know that, you know, we don't want any family to go through what we've been through. And if we could save one life and we've done our job. And how's How's Layla doing? Oh, she's amazing. That's my baby. <laughs> so I love her. She's so awesome. Uh, Layla is an amazing little girl. She talks about her mom all the time. Bethany's birthday was on Wednesday, a couple of days ago. And we uh, went to the cemetery. We sang happy birthday to her mom. We decorated. And it's so cute because Layla will call me and she's like, hey, 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 what time are we going? When are we doing this? And we need to set up for my mommy. And I need to make sure we have, uh, you know, nice pictures and balloons. And I'm going to blow out the candles, right? <laughs> And we're like, yes, they're going to blow the candles. So uh, she's doing good. She's an amazing little girl. And I look forward to seeing her grow up and be successful and, you know, work with the organization when she gets older. Coming back to the organization, what's the mission of Street Racing Kills? If you were just to put it in a few words, what's the focus and mission of, of your organization? Uh, we create awareness regarding the dangers of illegal street racing and traffic safety among the youth. And to give our listeners a little bit of background, uh, you know, how prevalent is street racing and, and deaths from street racing? Well, it has, it's always been there. It's been there for a long time. You just don't know about it until it happens to you. During the pandemic, it grew. It grew even more. It became more obvious. Why? Because the roads, you know, were more open. The pandemic, you know, even if it started dying down, they didn't stop. It got bigger. The, this culture of and, and, and all the social media that's going on right now where these young people want to just post on Instagram, you know, the car spinning around doing the donuts, you know, someone being daring to the closer you get to the scene at the faster you go, you know, who wins first, those ego, the immaturity, it just kept growing. The California Highway Patrol received how many phone calls, Lori? 25,000 phone calls um, from the beginning of the pandemic to present on street racing, uh, takeovers, sideshows, just expedition of speed during the pandemic, which was a 3,500 increase from the year before. So it's just been growing and growing and growing. And then, like I said, uh, as my organization kept growing, the problem kept growing. You know, one of the things that, you know, we've talked about is, you know, street racing was a problem in 2013 when Valentina was killed. Street racing was a problem in 2019 when Bethany was killed. Today, street racing be continues to be a huge problem. I think one of the things that we are noticing it now even more is because like Lily said, social media. So when Bethany was killed, everybody got these ring cameras. So her whole entire crash was caught on camera. So now we're starting to see people videotape these things. Um, you see it on residential families, you know, ring cameras. So 
the problem is just now it's visual, you know, it was always there, but you kind of heard about it or knew about it, but nobody had videotape of what was going on. And especially with this TikTok, Instagram, you know, all these young kids, there's all these trends out there right now. And what they're doing is they're challenging each other to get as close as they can to these cars that are doing donuts. And these kids are literally killing themselves and they're injuring innocent bystanders because when they lose control of these cars and they crash into houses or they decide to street race and take over a freeway, that's when innocent people start getting killed. And there's a safe and legal place to do this. And we tell them, take it to the track. I know I was just at the uh, Governor's Highway Safety Association meeting in uh, Denver back in September, and uh, street racing was something that was was brought up as a, a need to really focus on because, you know, one of the things about the pandemic, we, we think of that in terms of cases of COVID and all the people who have died because of that, but the pandemic has served to expose so many other pandemics, such as street racing, such as the increase in speed on roadways of all kinds all across uh, America. And, uh, you know, for me, it, it comes back to, we need to look in the mirror and ask ourselves, are we going to be part of the solution? Are we going to be part of the problem? Because our behaviors make all the difference. And obviously the behaviors that street tracers chose to engage in uh, have impacted uh, your lives in ways that, you know, most of us could not even begin to imagine. I'm grateful that one is that you share your stories with us but also for the work that you're doing with Street Racing Kills. Because I want to invite you to, to talk about that work that you're doing and give some examples of some of the ways that you've had an opportunity to impact other people through uh, your work and mission. When I first started, which is at doing assemblies at school, I became uh, a victim speaker for meth, for meth mother sickness drunk drivers. And they would tell me, okay, you can speak as long as you mention that there was alcohol involved. And lucky, but not lucky, they did went to a party where there was alcohol involved. However, I knew that what killed my daughter was a street race. It was the decision that he took in that moment to race. So they started letting me speak more about, okay. So I said, I said, I have to say what killed my daughter, you know? And then little by little, they let me pass out my bands that I have. This is Live for Val. My bands kept growing as well. Live for Betty. Everybody that comes, now we have a lot of. You know, angels of SRK that have passed away, Benny Goblin. I mean, I could tell you many names. So they would let me pass. And while I was doing that, I was doing my own thing, getting into the schools. However, they didn't like the names to Racing Kills at the beginning. It was really hard. So I started creating programs so they could let me get in, which is called Respect the Road Team Traffic Safety Program, which I invite other nonprofits like the uh, Connor Lynch Foundation to speak about distracted driving. Matt Mather, so they can t t talk about driving under the influence, hit and run, uh, you know, um, streets are for everyone. And of course, when it came to street racing, we'll blast the heck out of it and make it awesome. Bring a professional racer, bring uh, someone from the track, make reenactments. I mean, it's very, my presentation is very powerful, but because we do, we do it with our heart. So I kept doing that. Then I started to become an advocate as well, advocating. I joined Families for Safe Streets. Now I am a co-chair in Families for Safe Streets. And I'm also a member for Los Angeles Walks. Then the advocating, I mean, I had it in my heart. I wanted, from the beginning, I wanted to change laws, create new laws, somebody that would hear me. I would go to city council meetings and tell them, how many people have to die for you to put a sign out there? How many people have to for you to put a speed bump in the residential area? How come the, uh, you know, Department of Transportation, I wanted the big electronic sign, you know, they say, you know, texting, sophisticated, you know, buckle up. And they were telling me, they're still telling me, we cannot do a PSA. I go, you cannot post to racing kills, making home safe. If I see something about texting, I immediately know that I'm not touching the phone. So it's been a battle. I've been advocating for, like, for a long, long, long time. The reason why I met Lori was because families for safe streets were like, we need someone to go to a panel meeting. It's yours, Lily. So I went, you know, so it is working with all these other nonprofits that helped me. I kept going. I kept going, doing events, uh, World Remembrance. I supported uh, Bill AB3 that just passed as well. Uh, partnered with AAA. We've been campaigning in Texas and everywhere. And we just want to take it. You know, I honestly want to take this until I can, you know, give a high five to Valentina up in the sky. Can you talk about House Bill 83 that you just mentioned? What was that legislation? 
So as long as there was all these crashes going on, worse and worse of the pandemic, in Bakersfield, these kids that were racing with young people that were racing killed a mother. And the daughter and the sister of that mother that passed away, she was about in her 50s, didn't stay quiet. And they went to city council and they went to Sacramento. So council member Vince Fong from Kern County decided to take matters into his own hands and do something about it. He started researching. And so what's going on here? You know, what, 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 what is this, right? And then he said, oh my God, it's a huge problem. People, not in my county and everywhere in California. So he drew a bill. And I got contact, contacted by one of his assistants to help with the bill and contact more traffic safety organizations. So I was on it from the beginning. Uh, I connected her with so many Oakland families for safe streets. You know, the Connor Lynch family, we all got it and we all, you know, cooperated on it, praying and uh, that it would pass. What it is, it's up to, now if you are an ex um, spectator, if you are on a sideshow, if you do any kind of exhibition of speed, like when you're making, roaring your car, street racing, anything like that, you will get your license uh, suspended for uh, six months. We're excited about it. We were hoping I called because you couldn't go to Sacramento at the time of during the pandemic. I made sure I call and I supported the bill. And as we're campaigning in Texas, <laughs> Lori and I were just like sitting there and we get this text from Vince Fong saying the bill was signed for Governor Newsom. And we were so happy that it was signed. So we just, it's going to take a couple of years, unfortunately, or more. So we're trying to see if we can push it now that it can take be in effect because it's an amazing life-saving bill. If this bill had been here eight years ago, with the reckless behavior that the teenager that was driving my, my daughter home, he wouldn't have been driving. You know, I always think that any good uh, legislation related to traffic safety uh, has to do with preserving lives, is making sure that people get to come home to their loved ones and that we're there for them to come home to as well. And so it's, it's kind of like the, these bills when they're really effective and really, really focus on the behaviors that they need to focus on. We're kind of like throwing out a life preserver, you know, to people so that you can continue to live and you continue to be in relationships with those who love you and with those you love. You know, for our listeners who are not familiar with the Families for Safe Streets, that there are chapters uh, all over the country and um, there are victim advocates, you know, family members of loved ones who have died who are going to speak on behalf of, of legislation, which makes uh, a tremendous amount of difference because, you know, so often uh, times we can present the data, we can present the numbers and, and people fail to realize that all of those numbers represent real human beings. They represent real lives. They represent real relationships and that they all matter. And so, you know, the work that you're doing on behalf of Valentina and on behalf of Bethany is just so important, I think, not only in California, but to inspire other families to use their voice and to share their stories in ways they make a difference. Street Racing Kills has so many programs. We have our, like Lily mentioned, we have our teen traffic safely assemblies where we go to the schools and talk to the children in person. Obviously, with the pandemic hitting, we started doing a lot of Zoom events, which has been great because we can reach a broader audience. We've been able to um, talk to teens in different states, New York, Texas, California, you know, everywhere. So that's been awesome for the program. We also have Go Beyond Driving School. So we, as you know, in California, you know, they no longer have driver's education. So one of the things we do is like an after school program with the teens oh. and talk to them about the safeties of driving. Right. And then we also have a senior project where the kids can, we'll work with them and we'll bring a police officer, we'll have a victim speaker, we'll bring a crashed car and we'll do a senior project with the seniors about street racing. Our upcoming event is called uh, Respect the Road Summit. It's actually going to be on October 22nd. It's going to be a Zoom, which is perfect because anybody can log into the event. It's going to be from 4 to 7 p.m. Uh, Pacific Standard Time. And this will be an opportunity for multiple organizations to talk about the safety of being a teenager and just driving, texting and driving, drinking and driving. Uh, we're specifically obviously going to hit street racing 
fundraising, but you know, it's, it's a wonderful opportunity for Lily and I to partner up with other organizations. And we're also having AAA who is sponsoring this by giving everybody that signs up a $20 gift card so they can order DoorDash and have dinner while they're sitting down on the Zoom with us and going through the program. Also, a huge thing about the program is, and I, which I love, Lily created the Vows Respect the Road Scholarship. So it's a scholarship that we will give out to disadvantaged children or foster children that can't afford driving school because we don't want them out there driving unsafely. So they attend the summit and then they can sign up for the scholarship program and they just write an essay about what they learned during the summit, submit it to us. And then what we do is we go through all of the participants that uh, submitted it and we pick who will get the scholarship. Honestly, Lily and I try to give a scholarship to everybody. So we try to find funding. <laughs> we try to find funding yeah. so we can fund every single person that applies for this scholarship. I want to invite our listeners. If you're in a position to help fund a scholarship or one of these driver's education courses, we'll give you the uh, website for Street Racing Kills before we finish our podcast, but please go there and make your donation uh, to do that because every young driver and even every older driver needs and deserves the kind of education and training necessary to do our very best to practice the better on the road, you know, and practicing the better, you know, means monitoring our speed. It means stopping at stop signs. It means buckling up. It means putting our cell phones aside. It means giving enough space between ourselves and other vehicles. There are so many behaviors that are uh, related to, you know, why deaths happen on roadways. The vast majority of those behaviors are in our control. Those are things that we could do something about. So being able to have a, a good, positive driver's education experience, it's a gift to me, not only to the young people who receive the scholarships, but it becomes a gift to the community when they go out and they practice what they've learned. Definitely. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. It's, uh, I, let me just mention something real quick. Um, one of the things that, um, that we saw here in California, like I, like Lori said, there's no driver set, but we had to do something about it, but I didn't want them just, I wanted to make sure that in order to get it, they will attend, you know, the, the summit, right. Where everybody is involved with all this, uh, kind of Lynch foundation is involved. Our speakers, um, are amazing. I mean, I bring speakers from everywhere. We have right now Fletcher Cleves, who is amazing. Um, and he distracted driving and he ended up in a wheelchair. We have Kevin Brooks from Canada that will be speaking as well. And uh, this was uh, driving under the influence and speeding and he ended up in a wheelchair as well. His story is so powerful. You have no idea. And then, of course, founders of other nonprofits, victims. I mean, so the promise, um, the summit is going to be a little long, but it's going to be a lot of fun. There's Skywood Games. I mean, we're trying to keep it as fun as we can at the same time touching, you know, yeah. and then that chance for them to get the scholarship to make sure. And then like, we're not just doing it in California. We, like I said, like I already said, it's everywhere. We have even kids from Florida applying for it. Uh, uh, one of the big uh, uh, the state farm, a local state farm agency that I work with and, uh, and, and really, really donates to us told me, I'm going to uh, just give you a little something, but I, I wanted to go for the scholarship. <laughs> so they're saying like that they, they like that they will go to a foster team, to a disadvantaged team. You know, they like it that, to be able to give that opportunity. So, yes, definitely. Thank you for mentioning about a donation because um, and if you want to say your name, who is donating, why will definitely always mention to that family uh, that's receiving that, the scholarship who is coming from as well. Laura is like here, you know, dying, dying to talk about her favorite program. Uh -huh. Oh, I am. I am. Okay. Just, well, it's like her baby. It's like her favorite one. So let's go ahead and talk go about ahead, it. Go ahead, Lori. Okay. So, <laughs> well, I like this program because talking to people that have already committed a crime and uh, we're preventing them from doing it again. So we have a program called the reckless driving intervention program. And so these individuals have already been cited for reckless driving, whether it be doing donuts, uh, participating at takeovers, street racing, any type of reckless driving, they are sent to our program. And what we do is we talk to them about the dangers of illegal street racing, reckless driving takeovers. So we partnered up with CHP, one of the officers will talk to the 
to the young adults about um, what he sees, what happens when you're caught racing, what happens when you have to notify a family. He gives his perspective on it. We've partnered up with LASD Motorsports. So they are sheriffs that will race the kids at the track, young adults and children uh, and teens at the track. So we invite them to the track to go race in a safe and legal environment. Um, so we give them a, an outlet, right? Because we know that they're, they're going to do it. You know, and a lot of these, and Lily and I are learning a lot from them because as we talk to them, we ask them, what is their perspective on street racing? Why are they doing these takeovers? Why are they participating? So they give us a better understanding of why they're doing these things. Um, but the biggest thing is, they just don't think that they're going to die or that they're going to kill somebody else. And they've never known anybody personally that has died from a street racing or from takeovers or doing donuts. So when they hear Lily's story, when they hear my story, when they finally connect with Bethany and with Valentina and it becomes a reality to them. And by the end of our program, they have a completely different perspective on what they have done. They take ownership for what they've done and they tell us that they will never do it again. For our, our listeners, uh, everybody may not know what a takeover is. Can you talk about what a takeover is? Sure. Um, when a group of kids, they gather together and they either take over the street. So they'll block off like one end and another end of the street and they'll start doing donuts, potentially street races. They do it on highways. So they'll go on the freeway. They'll take over the freeway and they'll race each other on the freeway. And so they're just, they gather in this large group. Usually they'll text each other or on social media and say, we're going to meet in this spot. And then you see about a hundred cars gather up, they block it off and then they do what they want to do. And then they take off as fast as possible before the police get there to catch them doing what they're doing. And they post it all over social media. Okay. We know more about what a takeover is. You know, many of us may have experienced that at, at some point as well. It could be just driving through the city or it could be on the highway itself. Yes. There's also something called sideshows and that they'll go like on an abandoned area, a warehouse, a parking lot, and that's called a sideshow. And that's where they do their donuts, the same thing, same behavior, but it's called like a sideshow. And the, um, that's another thing that they do a lot. One of the things that we really, I would like to mention for anybody that's out there listening right now to talk to to the youth uh, or to then tell them if you get invited to one, not to go on how dangerous they are. Well, I had many cases where uh, one particular student that she's in college now, she wanted to do, because we help college students as well, that they, they always go, I want to do a project on street racing. And this particular, I go, why do you want to do it? And she's like, well, I got invited just by phone. You know, why don't you come here? It's a sideshow. It's going to be fun. You're going to see cars, cool cars. And I got off my car and I went there. When I got there, all of a sudden the police showed up. So everybody started running, you know, cause there's three racing task forces out there watching you. So this girl told me to get in the car. I jumped in the car and then she started racing, running away from the police and we crashed. She goes, I am lucky I'm alive. She ended mm -hmm. up in the hospital, the driver. So this is just one of the situations of things that can happen. There's aggressive people there, there's drugs, there's weapons, you know, yeah. somebody can pull out a gun. Of course, the car can lose control and hit you. So we educate also the youth that if they start, if they get invited to something like that, not to go and not to fall into that trap of the ego of what's cool. There's other things that are cooler than going to a takeover or a sideshow. And we also want to talk to the parents about things to look at. Because we recently talked to a mother that lost her son this year and he was street racing. She had no idea that he was street racing. But in retrospect, after talking to her, she said, I wish I would have noticed the little things. You know, he was modifying his car, but she had never asked why or what he was doing it for. She didn't have any understanding of what modifications are done to a car to make your car faster, sound louder. He was hanging around with a group of kids that all had cars modified, you know? So all these little things that, you know, parents, we just need to pay attention to, you know, what are your teens doing? What kind of social media do they have? What are they looking at? What are they talking to? You know, you got to be nosy, unfortunately, with your kids to, to see what they're up to, you know, because it's just so different today. You know, all the social media that the kids have nowadays you got to just understand. And I would hate to see a parent lose someone like this young mother, like this mother did. She lost her son. And she said, I wish, I wish I would have paid attention to what my son was doing. Cause I don't think he would have died. If I would have known what he was doing, I would have never let him, you know, buy those things or go out there and do those things. I would have talked to him about it. One of the projects I've worked on in the past is uh, a little thing called flashing your brights and uh, flashing your brights uh, has to do with doing what's in our power to get other people's attention not that we can change their behavior ourselves, 
but that so we can shed some light on it. And uh, just the whole image of flashing your brights might bring to mind a lot of different meanings for our, our listeners. But for those of us who are at least as old as I am, can remember that if, uh, if somebody flashed their brights at you, uh, like when I was growing up or when I was a young driver, it let you know that your lights weren't on, you know, so that you should turn your lights on. And so it was really somebody doing what was in their power to do, in my case, to get my attention or my getting somebody else's attention to do what's in your power to do, which is to turn on your lights. But there are little tools that go into flashing your brights, you know, and, and some of it has to do with, you know, say what you know. And I'll give an example is uh, my uh, oldest son was practice driving. So this dates it, you know, about 16, 17 years ago. And we were on the highway and there was a driver who was just weaving in and out of traffic, driving erratically to say the least. But I said to, to Matthew, I said, well, you can't do anything about the way that guy's driving. What's in your power to do is to create space, create space between you and other vehicles so that when they act in a way that, you know, could put yourself or other people in danger, you have space to react to what they've done. And so just a, based on just observing what was going on. And so uh, our next youngest son, Michael was in the back seat and uh, he said, well, Oh, because I guess the point at one part of the point I was making is that you, you say what you see, but you also say what you can say what you know. I said, because at any time, any one time a day between one and 3% of drivers may be driving under the influence of any number of things. And I said, you can't do anything about the fact that they made that decision to do that and to get in a car uh, as well. And I know our, our son, Michael, uh, he was in the backseat and he says, well, dad, how do you know this stuff? And you know, to me, it wasn't important so much for me to tell him how I knew this stuff, but the fact that he heard it, because he wouldn't have asked the question if he wasn't listening. And so, you know, sometimes we might not think that uh, by saying what we see or saying what we know is being helpful or not. But, uh, you know, a lot of times young people are listening. They may not actually be reacting or asking questions and all, but it's worth saying those things. And, you know, one of the other tools with flashing your brights that has to do with our own selves is, uh, is setting your boundaries. I mean, for example, if related to street racing, if a young person says, you know, if I'm aware that, uh, you know, my friends are going to go out street racing or they're going to take over, that I've already made the decision beforehand that I'm not going to engage in that. And those are my boundaries. And I have to live by my boundaries that I set. But also, and this is a greater challenge, especially I think for young people, is that you still have even more power than setting your boundaries. Because if you're aware that something's going on, you can pick up the phone and call 911, you know, and let law enforcement know that, you know, these street racers are going to go to this place or try to take over this highway or they're on this stretch of road or, uh, you know, this parking lot, wherever it might be. And, and my point to young people is that, you don't have to go to school and say, you know what? I called the police. You don't have to do that. All you have to do is what's in your power to do, because to me, that's how you're preserving lives. You are not going to school and then everybody is, uh, you know, tragically affected and, and, you know, beyond sad because one of their classmates died. That's something that you have in your power to do. You don't have to tell anybody you did it. You just do what's in your power to do. And then in this case, let law enforcement do what they have the power to do. Yeah, that's a great point, Tom. I like that you said that because one, the one thing Lily and I do know is that street racing kills. We know it for a fact. My niece is not here with us today. Valentina is not here with us today. And that's why we share our story because we know what the effects of street racing kills does. Street racing does. And I, I think it's so important that you listen to these young people talk about why they do what they do, because sometimes I think we can make assumptions about why they do what they do. And to actually hear that from them, you know, realizing that they're not thinking about, you know, I could die, somebody else could die. And, you know, one of the things that I, I actually like about the name of your organization, Street Racing Kills, is that it gets right to the point. Because you know, I've, I've said many times in past episodes of this podcast that one of my favorite quotes is that our death-denying culture has life-denying consequences. When people go out and they act in ways 
that put themselves and other people in danger, and that danger could lead in death, but they're not thinking about that. You know, to me, that's denying the reality of what could happen and within your lives, what has happened. You know, to me, I, I think it's just so critical to be listeners in this process as, as well, because to me, it's pretty easy to jump to conclusions about why people do what they do. But as you have done is to, to sit down with those who have engaged in these behaviors and actually listened to them and shared your story. That's really creating a dialogue. Yeah, definitely. And it's also sharing the reality because they need to see reality of what's happening and what happens. Well, as I think, you know, I I use that word dialogue and I know it's not D-I-E in dialogue, but you hear dialogue and I was thinking, well, maybe you're having a live a log, you know, (laughs) that uh, you're going to be able to live because we had this conversation. Yeah. I tell this in our program. I truly believe that if the young man that you know, killed Valentina and that killed Bethany had sat through our program, they would have never done what they've done. Cause I don't think it was their first. I know for a fact that I don't think it was that young man's first time that killed Bethany. It was just the first time that he killed somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh, I think it is. Um, not also that, you know, it's, I think it's a, a joint effort, you know, cause we do what we can, but having uh, the law backup, you know, law enforcement, they can do more. Having officials back us up as advocates saves lives. Having us as advocates and victims to talk to others saves lives. Being with you here today will be saving lives. So I really think it's just a huge amount of people, even our um, our sponsors, they're saving lives. You know, we have joined with AAA, Doug Shoup here in Southern California, State Farm, the office of Janice Hahn that's been helping us a lot here it's everybody. It's a joint effort. I know I started by myself, but I know I have a group of warriors that are with us, like you, like Lori, like AAA. It's, it's all of us together that are saving lives. It takes a lot. One person starting can create a huge mountain. Yeah, Lily, I actually, Lily, I want to say, uh, Lily saved my life. And, and I get emotional because I really, I didn't know that I was, I didn't know how I was going to move forward. I didn't think I was going to be able to move forward. Like I told you, a piece of me died with Bethany that day and I didn't know how I was going to move forward. And Lily truly saved my life because, you know, she gave me like a purpose and she gave me a, you know, a mission and she let me fight for Bethany by joining the organization. So I really thank her for, for starting this organization and for letting me do this, you know, and have this journey with her. I want to start wrapping up. Is there anything that you've been thinking about or that you would say, I wouldn't want to end this conversation without saying this? Gosh, there's so many things I would like to say. <laughs> <laughs> I can sit here forever with you. But anyway, <laughs> but um, I just always tell everyone to make it home safe. I know everybody gets out of the house and they want to come back. So when you put your hands on that wheel, just make sure that you come home to your family, come home to your loved ones. And have your favorite meal, whatever you're craving, be with your family, the win to the holidays to spend time with your family. Every day is a blessing and um, street racing kills. I, I always like to ask two questions. Uh, who do you love and who loves you? Because our answers to those two questions are all the reasons we should ever need to act in a way behind the wheel to bring ourselves home and to have our loved ones there to welcome us home as well. Well, I know that Lily said what I would would have wanted to say also, but I do want to say, you know, one of the things that we say is Valentina and Bethany are the angels of SRK and they're our purpose for what we do. And so they're also our bosses because they make us really work our butts off. (laughs) But we always tell people live for Valentina, you know, live for Bethany. Valentina will forever be 16. A Bethany will forever be 23. So we ask our youth, please live your life for them. It always reminds me uh, of a, a little plaque that my mom had in our kitchen when I was growing up. I don't know, I stole it, I borrowed it, or, you know, after she died and uh, it hangs in our kitchen now. And it just says, to live in the hearts we leave behind is not to die. And, you know, mm-hmm. I think about Bethany, I think about Valentina being very much alive in your hearts. And I imagine the hearts of many, many other people and they keep uh, nudging you forward and maybe pushing you forward 
uh, on, <laughs> on some days in all, and uh, are so grateful for their spirit that it continues to live in all those people who live in their honor. Lily, uh, I'd like you to give us the uh, website for uh, Street Racing Kills. Definitely is www.streetracingkills.org. We also ask everybody to go to streetracingkills.org to make the pledge that they will not street race. So when you go to streetracingkills.org, you can go ahead and fill out the pledge that you will not street race. Um, so we would like you to join our movement on keeping our, our streets safe and our community safe. Okay. Another, another commitment that we can make to practice the better and be the better that we practice. Streetracingkills.org. So that's where you can go to get more information uh, about the organization, and you can also donate to their cause at that site as well. So again, I, I really want to thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation, a conversation that really needs to happen and hopefully will lead to many conversations in the homes and the schools, you know, in the civic organizations that uh, our listeners are connected with so that we can engage young people in a way that keeps them alive and keeps everybody that they love alive as well. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. We look forward to working with you in the future. Thank you for listening. Please visit kkad25.org to find out how you can support Keep Kids Alive Drive 25 and get involved by following on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Remember, it's about kids. It's about safety. It's about caring. It's about time. Thank you.